few little whispers going on. A few little whispers. Good morning. If you're visiting with us this morning, warm welcome to you. Thanks for choosing to be a part of the Bendigo Church of Christ this morning. Appreciate uh, your attendance with us today. Why don't we pray for the word this morning and then we'll get into it. Almighty God, we thank you again for your holy word. God, I would ask that you would breathe your spirit of life into each and every word that is proclaimed from the pulpit this morning. God, that you would anoint your instruments to declare your word and that you would, by your spirit in each believer, open up to be able to hear and receive in their hearts the word that you have for us today. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And everyone says... Hey, guess what? It is week 22. Week 22 in our series from the book of Acts. It's entitled The Gospel Going Global. And if you were with us last week, you might remember that the message of the Messiah went to Antioch. And as new people were converted to Christ, there was this mass persecution that broke out around the church. And so, in order to encourage those new believers in the faith, they sent Barnabas to Antioch to encourage them to keep being loyal in the Lord. And you know, this week I was thinking, we are 21 centuries away from this persecution that we are speaking about this morning. But... Persecution is no less of a problem in the church and around the world today than it was back then. You know, the persecution of Christians. Christians are the number one people that are persecuted around the world. I'm sure you, uh, like me, became a Christian and thought to yourself, wonderful. Blue sky, sunshine, nothing but blessings ahead for me. But have you ever noticed that when everything seems to be going well in your world, that's when the problems strike. Suddenly it's almost like the rain clouds come in and the lightning of evil strikes our lives and the problems of persecution begin to pour on down. It actually just confirms what the Bible already tells us, doesn't it, from Ephesians 6. That we're not wrestling against flesh and blood, but we're engaged in this life and death battle. This life and death battle, this struggle that we have against principalities, against rulers, against authorities, not here on earth, but in the spiritual realm that are attacking us in the flesh today. And I always find these attacks happen when I let down my guard and I think everything is going well. And so the message today comes to us from the book of Acts. We're into chapter 12. We're going to look at the first 19 verses and our focus is back on Jerusalem this morning and the message is entitled Peter, Prison and the Power of 
prayer. We're focusing in on prayer this morning. If you haven't picked it up from our song selection today, we're talking about coming against uh, satanic forces in the heavenly realms. We're talking about the power of prayer that God will release when his people will cry out to his throne and he will go and he will avenge us here on this earth. The key verse I think today comes to us from verse 5 if you've got your Bibles. So Peter was kept in prison. But if there is a key word in the key passage, it is that little word, but. The church was earnestly praying to God for him. As part of this series, we've been doing some video clips. And so this morning, I want to have a look at what I would call earnest prayer from the movie The War Room. done it again Lord you've done it again you are good and you are mighty and you are merciful and you keep taking care of me when I don't deserve it praise you Jesus you are Lord give me another one Lord Guide me to who you want me to help. Raise up more that will call upon your name. Raise up those that love you and seek you and trust you. Raise them up, Lord. Raise them up. Lord, we need a generation of believers who are not ashamed of the gospel. We need an army of believers, Lord hate to be lukewarm and will stand on your word above all else raise them up Lord raise them up I pray for unity among those that love you I pray that you open their eyes so that they can see your truth Lord I pray for your hand of protection and guidance Raise up a generation, Lord, that will take light into this world. That will not compromise when under pressure. That will not cower, Lord, when others fall away. Raise them up, Lord, that they will proclaim that there is salvation in the name of Jesus Christ. Raise up warriors, Lord, who will fight on their knees will worship you with their whole hearts Lord Lord call us to battle that we may proclaim you King of Kings and Lord of Lords I pray these things with all my heart raise them up Lord raise them up
call to battle. A call to battle this morning as we come into God's word. I'm going to preach the passage to you this morning. And then at the end, uh, to conclude, I'm going to give you the points. A little bit different way of approaching it this morning. So let's just journey through this passage together. Verse 1. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some. Uh, Some of the other translations say, The king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. So right after the outpouring of evangelism comes this evil opposition. Jesus promised it, didn't he? Jesus told us in John 15, 20, If they persecute Me, they will also persecute you. You know, we don't uh, like the idea of persecution being part of what it is to be a part of following Jesus. But actually God allows persecution. And when persecution comes, it actually helps to advance the gospel cause. You know, Jesus said those words just before he himself was arrested by his enemies. And he says there... You know, if you love the world, the world will love you. But if you want to be a friend of Jesus, the world will hate you. When he's talking about the world there, he's not talking about the planet. He's talking about this human system that doesn't believe in God, doesn't believe in his word. It's a system of humanity that is still working its way out in people's lives today. There's a number of uh, different Herods mentioned in the Bible. Uh, Actually, there are four in the New Testament. Uh, So which one are we talking about today? Well, firstly, Herod the Great. Herod the Great was around when Jesus was born in Bethlehem. He's the the Herod that actually uh, instructed all of the males under the age of two to be killed. He wanted to kill Christmas off before it ever got going. Then there was Herod Antipas. He's the guy who actually beheads John the Baptist. And then there is Herod Agrippa I. And that's the Herod that we're talking about today. He's the Herod of Acts 12. He's the grandson of Herod the Great. And then we'll be introduced to our final Herod, Agrippa II, in Acts 25 and 26, when Paul confronts him. But Agrippa I, he was quite the politician. He wanted to uh, appear to favour the Jews. And so in verses 2 and 3, he had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. One sentence, and it's all over. He was beheaded. This is the first time that James is actually mentioned in the book of Acts. And yet, he is quite a prominent figure uh, through the Gospels, isn't he? He's one of Jesus' top three. James, his brother John, and Peter. And yet here, we see that he's the first apostle for his life to be taken. And his brother John will be the last. Of course, if you know the story, it was... John and James that were taken by their mother, presented to Jesus and asked, can they sit at your right and your left? I wonder how his mother felt 
now that following Jesus would cost her son his life. You know, sometimes when we come to faith, maybe well-intentioned people might say to us, don't get too carried away. And yet we know that following Christ will cost our very lives. Reading on, it says, When he saw that this met with the approval among the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. So this Herod, he was persecuting Christians to gain political points. That sounds a little bit like last week, doesn't it? What we were talking about last week and what happened in the text, but also happened in our community as well. Verses 3 and 4. This happened during the festival of unleavened bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. So this is the same period of, of, of time of the year that Jesus was arrested and tried and crucified, but it's actually 44 AD. We know the actual date from Herod. It tells us here in Acts 12, but it also tells us in other places in ancient history. So these events, they take place 12 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus. Around about the same time on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came. Now this Herod, he was a little bit suspicious of Christians, wasn't he? They kept on uh, uh, performing great escapes. Uh, Jesus himself, their leader, he escaped from a sealed tomb. We know that uh, from our series that, that Paul somehow escaped uh, the city of Damascus. He was lowered down the city wall in a basket. And twice before, Peter had already escaped from jail. So to be safe... Four squads of four soldiers, 16 in all, six-hour shifts. We know as the text unfolds that uh, two of them would actually be chained to Peter and the other two would uh, stand guard at the only way in and out. It's unclear the church's stance when James was taken captive. You see, earlier on in Acts chapter 5, uh, all of the apostles were arrested and imprisoned. And there was this miraculous escape without any prayer being involved. And so what might the expectations of these Christians be? Have you ever been in that uh, sort of experience where something has happened in your life and this was the outcome? And so when it happens again, you automatically assume that the same outcome will happen no need to pray about it I know what's going to take place so you can imagine the stunned uh, silence when James is beheaded the sad news comes that the first apostle has been martyred for the Christian faith folks always remember this Jesus never invited you into a safe life he invited you into a saved life so when Peter's taken, anxiety escalates. Verse 5. So Peter was kept in prison, but 
but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. Earnest. It means they are now urgent. They are now unceasing. They are now on their knees in desperation for God to break into the history of this uh, person's life to again rescue him. It's the picture of a, an athlete straining and competing and they're not going to give up until they make it across the finish line. And the only other time that word uh, is used in scripture is when Jesus was in the garden of Gethsemane. You might remember back in Luke 22, 44, he's, he's there and it says, and being in agony, he prayed more earnestly and his sweat his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. So here's Herod. He's planning Peter's execution. But the church is now interceding earnestly. You know, sometimes when stuff happens, you can sometimes feel like there's nothing you can do about it. Do you ever feel like that? Well, well who am I? What, what can I do? How, how can I help? Do you know, as Christians, we are never powerless the only time that you are powerless is when you refuse to get on your knees before almighty God who can tap into the power who can bring victory over the sense that you might feel defeated you are never ever powerless when you open your mouth in prayer but somewhere along the line I think in our comfortable Christianity we've forgotten about that we've forgotten about the power that is released from heaven when God's people pray so verses 6 and 7. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and sentries stood guard at the entrance. So he's shackled between these two soldiers. He's about to be executed in the morning. If you knew you were getting executed on Monday morning, how do you think you would sleep tonight? Peter slept soundly simply because of the power of prayer. Other people were praying for him. It strengthened him. It encouraged him. He knew they were praying for him. Let me take you to a true story back in 2017. Peter Yasek. Peter Yasek uh, came from the Czech Republic. Uh, he was the African regional director of the Voice of the Martyrs. He was in the Sudan and he was taken prisoner he was sentenced to 14 months jail simply for confessing Christ. When they put him into this cell, it was a small cell that was packed full of Muslim people. Many of them were ISIS fighters. Do you remember back in 2015, they had a whole lot of Egyptian men lined up in these orange, um, what would you call them, jumpsuits? This was in Libya. And they beheaded them. These were the guys that was in the cell with Peter. They wanted to kill this guy. He was a Christian. He was afraid for his life. But every night at nine o'clock when the lights went out, he slept soundly right through the night. After he was released from prison, he went back to Prague in the Czech Republic and he went to his home church and he thanked them for praying for him. And he was moved to tears when he heard them say this. You know, Peter, we agreed as a church that every night at 8 p.m. 
We were going to set our phones and our watches and we're going to pray for you in prison in Sudan. The amazing part of the story is that 8pm in Prague is 9pm in the Sudan. The people were praying and he was able to sleep soundly at night. It's a good reminder of the power of prayer. Christians are persecuted around the world today, even as we speak. But we can keep praying. Not that the persecution might stop, but that they might know peace through the midst of the persecution. That the gospel might continue to spread. Folks, this church was at war in the spirit. Perhaps Peter was meditating on Psalm 4 verse 8. It says there, In peace I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, Make me dwell in safety. That's a good word when you're under attack, isn't it? Yeah? You know, you've got your Bibles open. You know what you're looking at? You're looking at the Logos. The Logos is the Word of God. But have you ever been in those situations where you, you need a word from the Lord and then suddenly it comes to you? That's called a Rema word. That's a word in the Spirit. That's a word that's going to encourage you and empower you. That's a word when you know that God is with you in this situation and you can trust to keep moving forward in faith. You know, if you're struggling to sleep at night, Call some pet friends to come and pray. If you feel like you're in the midst of a storm, call people to pray. Get people to lay hands on you and touch you. And that storm will calm. You know, the Apostle Paul, he knew a thing or two about being in chains. He was chained to a Roman guard, wasn't he? He was uh, a prisoner of war, if you know what I mean, in the spiritual sense. And he wrote about this spiritual battle we fight. And in Ephesians 6 verse 18, he gives us these instructions. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. So the way for us to gain victory is to connect in to the Holy Spirit. What does it mean there to pray in the Spirit? You know, uh, for some, the general emphasis is to think about praying in tongues. But you know what, if you don't have that gift of praying in tongues? No, it's really here. It's about praying in connection with the Holy Spirit. It's about allowing the Holy Spirit within you to guide you in your prayer life. You see, so often when we're praying, we think we're praying for what we want. But what we want to do is we want to allow the Holy Spirit to fill us, to guide and direct us. And then we know what God wants to do as we connect in with the Holy Spirit. It's the Lord's leading that we want to be listening to. So praying in the Spirit, it's really listening to God's prompting as he guides you through those uh, stormy, stormy waters towards victory. Folks, you know... For a believer, the battleground is prayer. Because more is spoken about prayer in a topic in the scriptures. But actually the outworking of it, less is done in our lives. So we've got to be doing more listening and less talking in prayer. It's more about monologue than it is about dialogue. I was thinking about that old uh, sort of spiritual sort of song, you know. Operator information get me Jesus on the line yeah you know that song yeah. hello it's an old song I'm an old boy so often 
we're wanting to get God on the line. But when it comes to actually being led by the Spirit, you've got to understand that God is trying to call you. You've got to be listening for what He wants to do in the world. You've got to pick up when He calls you. And then it goes on and it says, So with this in mind, be alert. Be on the lookout. The enemy prowls around like a roaring lion, the scripture says. Figure out what he's up to in the world. And always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. It means don't stop. Don't stop. I think we treat prayer today very much like going through McDonald's at the fast food. You know, we pull up, we put down the window... We tell God what we want and we're on our way. One of the reasons we're not living in victory is simply because we stopped praying too soon. So there's a lot of alls in the passage there, isn't there? It says, on all occasions, with all kinds, with all ways, for all the people. Simply put, I think the way that you revolutionise your prayers is to get rid of the word some and move to all. When you think that prayer has some importance, you will never live in victory in your life until you get to the point where you know that it is all important in everything you do. So maybe as the people prayed, it says there, suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. So Peter's out for the count. He's sleeping so soundly. He wasn't touched by an angel. He was smacked by a celestial being. He was woken up all of a sudden. And I want you to remember this. Whenever you're in a jam, God's angels are standing right there to support you. Again, if you were being executed tomorrow, how peacefully... Would you sleep tonight? Hold on to Psalm 34, verse 7. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Verse 7 and 8. Quick, get up, he said. And the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals. And Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel said to him. I was thinking this morning, that sounds a little bit like the instructions Sam, uh, Sharon gives me on a Sunday morning. Quick, get up. Get out there into church. And like Peter, I always follow her instructions. Always. But notice, in the midst of this miracle, Peter's got to do some ordinary stuff, doesn't he? He's got some ordinary, everyday responsibilities. The angel could have put his shoes on and put the cloak around him and got him out of there a little bit quicker. But you know, here's the thing. So often, we want a miracle, but we want to sit back and do nothing about it. Faith is active. When God opens a door in your life, you've got to be prepared to walk through it. Warren Worsby said this, God alone can do the extraordinary, but his people must do the ordinary. Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, but men had to roll the stone from the tomb. Verse 9 and 10. Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea that what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. 
It opened for them by itself and they went through it. Automate is the, uh, the Greek word and of course it's where we get that word automatically. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. So Peter's pretty passive in this jailbreak, isn't he? You know, I was thinking of the uh, uh, Mission Impossible theme music. It was going through my head there, you know. Tom, you know, he, he gets the lights out. He breaks in. He deals with the guards. He breaks the chains. And then he blows the gate and out they go and it's cue the music. But here, Peter's very pa- passive, isn't he? And so, so sooner does he get out and the angel disappears. As suddenly as he came, he's gone. And that's what angels do, don't they? They are ministering spirits. It tells us in Hebrews 1.14, Are they not all ministering spirits set out uh, to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? But remember, when God blows the door, you can't stand and look at it. You've got to walk through it in order to enter into the victory, in order to receive the blessings. You might not know what's on the other side. You might not know who's guarding going further beyond. Peter, all of a sudden, he was left alone, wasn't he? But he had to keep on going. Verse 11. Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people, he he was a Jew, the Jewish people were hoping would happen. I wonder if that encounter that night made him write 2 Peter 2 verse 9. The Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials. Verse 12. When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. Many. Not all of the masses, a select group. It wasn't about the volume, it was about the intensity. Peter remembered that there was a prayer going on for him. Mary, the Mary mentioned here, that's uh, Barnabas' sister, yeah? Tradition tells us that this is actually the house where Jesus would have gone upstairs with his disciples having the Passover before he was arrested and crucified. This is where he instituted the new covenant in his blood. And this became the sort of ad hoc headquarters of the early church. So this Mary, she must have been a a, a woman of fair means. She must have had a good size home to be able to house these people and to be able to put them up for this week-long prayer meeting. So these faithful followers, they're up all night. They're continually praying when in verse 13 and 14, Peter knocked at the outer entrance and a servant named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognised Peter's voice, because she would have heard him preach many a time, he was one of the main apostles, she was so overjoyed that she ran back without opening the door and exclaiming, Peter is at the door! That's one of the funniest things you're ever going to hear, isn't it? Here he is, you know, he's down the street, he's by himself. You know, he doesn't want to knock too loudly because he doesn't want to uh, let everybody know that there's been a jailbreak. He's thinking that Herod's after him. He's, let me in, let me in. And she's so excited, she runs off and forgets to let him in. Verse 15, you're out of your mind, they told her. Manias is the Greek word. It's where we get the word maniac. They're really saying, you're insane. 
When she kept insisting that it was so, they said, it must be his angel. Verse 16 and 17. But Peter kept on knocking. And when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. You can imagine the uproar, can't you? You can imagine, you know, they'd have been clapping and cheering and jumping up and down. This is unbelievable. Peter motioned with his hands for them to be quiet and described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Tell James and the other brothers and sisters about this, he said. And then he left them for another place because he knew that Herod in the morning would be after him. It's a funny story, isn't it? They didn't really expect those prayers to be answered. It's like the uh, church that was gathering. Uh, There was a massive drought and they were going to pray for rain. But only one little girl came with an umbrella for the walk home. That's a little bit like what it was here. You know, so often we might pray, but do we really expect God to break into the history of our lives and answer those prayers? I don't think that it was a lack of faith here. I think what it was is that, have you ever prayed for something? And you're like very specific you know I want this to happen at two o'clock in the afternoon and it's going to happen this way and then all of a sudden God does something completely different something that completely blows your mind and you go wow that's the answer to my prayer it's not how I thought it would be answered but obviously that's what God in his sovereignty wants for me that's exactly what was happening here finally verses 18 and 19 In the morning, there was no small commotion among the soldiers as to what had become of Peter. After Herod had a thorough search made for him and did not find him, he cross-examined the guards and ordered that they be executed. The only plausible explanation is that these guards must have let Peter go. So this cruel tyrant, he would have had all 16 executed. That was the punishment, yeah? In the Roman world, if a prisoner got away and that prisoner had a death sentence, then you who were in charge of them, you received their sentence. All because of this, this tyrant, this stubborn unbelief that God had acted. But of course, in the story, we've got to make some serious consideration. Why was James killed and Peter delivered why did God allow James to be put to death well we've got this wonderful story of how Peter got saved by angelic interference God could have saved both of them couldn't he he's God why didn't he folks the only explanation for it in the chapter is found in verse 5 with the word but but the church was earnestly praying to God for Peter When they got together, they weren't devising a plan about how we could make a jailbreak in the middle of the night. They weren't saying, right, now, let's get all of our plaques and banners and everything ready, and in the morning we're going to protest against Parliament. No, no, no. They were petitioning the God of heaven, the one who could do something about it, the one who could release power from his throne and produce this great escape. And you know, that's one of the things we've got to remember. No matter what is happening to the people we love, God can deliver them through the power of your prayer. Let's not forget when people are weak in and of themselves, when people are struggling, 
when the world really hit them in the face. Whether that be emotionally, psychologically, physically, spiritually. We're the ones that can stand in the gap. We're the ones that can pray for them. We're the ones that can encourage and support them. We're the ones that can get an answer for them from God. Don't forget what James said. Not the James that was beheaded, but James, the half-brother of Jesus. In his book, he says, You have not because you ask not. So the great lesson here in this chapter, isn't it? You know, sometimes we can take ordinary everyday events in the world today and we can take things for granted. Sometimes we can think, what can we do about them? We can pray. Prayer is the most powerful weapon that we have because it changes people's lives. And it's the most natural and normal thing that you would think to do as a Christian, isn't it? means that we're dependent on God. You know, if you don't pray, you simply think that there is power within you to handle the situation. I don't need God for that. But prayer is hanging on. Sometimes the situations and circumstances in our lives, you know, they they don't always just automatically change, but there are different ways that through the power of prayer, God acts in our lives. You know, if the enemy is attacking you, you can pray. doesn't mean that God will always grant you the answer that you want to your prayer. Because God sometimes says no. But obviously, prayer here is the ability to postpone or delay the judgment of God or the attack of the enemy. James was taken out. Peter got to fight another day. His execution was delayed, wasn't it? And that's the primary power of prayer. It can put something off, something that's impending, something that's threatening. Yes, we can come together in prayer and it might delay what is happening in the world. Herod was the first century tyrant. We've got quite a few in the world today, haven't we? We can think of what's happening in Russia and China and North Korea and, and so often those people are antichrist, aren't they? They're living in a, in, a, in, a, in a world void of God and his power to reign and rule over. And so often, you know, we think, man, this is Armageddon. This is going to be the end. What are we going to do? And so often in these times, it's a call for the church to come and to pray, isn't it? And have you ever noticed that sometimes when we think, man, there's there's no way out of this, this and and we come and we pray, all of a sudden things change, doesn't it? The atmosphere that we live in changes. We know that God is bringing all things to a climax. And we might even feel like we're a little bit further over the edge (laughs) than than we would like to be. But we trust that God's in control. Prayer can delay disaster. I think of Hezekiah. King Hezekiah, he was laying on his deathbed and God sent uh, Isaiah to come and tell him that he, he was going to die. And Hezekiah, he turns his face towards the wall and he begins to pray earnestly for God to spare his life. 
And God stops Isaiah as he's walking out of the palace. He turns him around. He comes back in Isaiah 38 verse 5. Go and tell Hezekiah, this is what the Lord, the God of your father David says. I have heard your prayer and seen your tears. I will add 15 years to your life. And then if you know the story, uh, uh, Isaiah actually sees the shadow on the sundial and go back as confirmation of what God has promised. So prayer, prayer can postpone the judgment on individuals, on a nation. Prayer can avert things in our own lives. Folks, pray. Pray for God to do something that you can't do for yourself. Pray in those difficult times. It creates that atmosphere where sudden and remarkable things happen. Unexpected things. Things that God wants to do. Prayer opens up doors. Prayer sets the captives free. Prayer is the the, the main power source that we have as Christians to bind evil in the world. The Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials. Powerful things happen, church, when God's people pray but if we don't pray there is no power to change so let me conclude with the points this morning there are seven firstly God allows persecution we don't always like it but God is using it for his glory secondly God expects prayers he expects us to pray that's part of what it is about being a Christian number three God grants us peace in the midst of everything that goes on Number four, God sends his presence when we need it. Number five, God displays his power. Number six, God uses imperfect people. Like Rhoda, like you and I, he'll use the ordinary to do the extraordinary. And God will prevail. So will you stand with me this morning? I want to invite you into a time of prayer together today. It's important for us to be praying as we've preached the word of God, for us to be able to ask God to open some doors today, for us to pray in the spirit with all kinds of prayer requests this morning. You know, there's lots of things going on, isn't there, in the world. We've got an election that's coming up in November. We've got uh, people who are struggling with uh, the floods at the moment. People who have lost many things in their lives. We've got a whole lot of different things that are going on. People's struggles. And it's important for us to lift those up in prayer this morning. Let me begin to pray and then I'm just going to open it up for you. If you've got a prayer on your heart that you want to give up to God today, let's pray, church. Let's pray. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. God, there is no prison so strong that you cannot free its captives. God, there is no situation so dire that you cannot provide relief. And God, I would pray for those people in our community that need that relief from you today. There is no life, Lord God, so ruined that you cannot restore it. Lord, we trust you to save us and deliver us from evil through the power of your son's sacrifice at Calvary.
We pray for those warring angels to be at work in the world, standing by us and empowering us through the power of the Holy Spirit that we might keep on praying. God, I pray by your Spirit, guide the prayers of your people today. In Jesus' name.